Amen. Isaiah chapter 26, Old Testament Maranatha is what we're considering this evening. <clears throat> he began talking about the kingdom age in earlier chapters, even in chapter 25. That, that was what his message was centered on. And again, I, I believe that most of these prophecies we have in print are the outcome of the prophet's preachings. Uh, they were under the anointing when they shared these things verbally and uh, uh, put some of it in print. It still happens today. Most books written by pastors are the product of their, their preaching. In Isaiah's tone in this 26th and 27th chapter, I sense a longing in, his, in the tone, a hope, an anticipation. We know this tone. In the New Testament, we call it Maranatha which is one word in the, Greek, in the Aramaic, Maranatha, Lord come, but um, in, it's translated in some of our New King some of our Bibles as, O Lord come, three words, but it's, it's two in the Aramaic. And uh, we want that better life in Christ. Well, Isaiah wanted that better life in Yahweh, and Yahweh, again, is uh, Christ in the Old Testament. Paul wrote to the Corinthians at the end of this, his first letter, after he had dealt with them the first nine chapters on their aberrant Christian behavior. He says in the end of it, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, or accursed. O Lord, come. So, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. And to God, you just come. That's how he summed it up. There are going to be those that are Christ haters. They want to be that way. Fine, let them be. But, oh Lord, would you come? And there's a lot of emotion in that. An exclamation. There in Corinthians 16, where he talks about, let them be accursed, oh Lord, come. There he, the divine judgment, and yet the profound hope right on the heels of it of it for the righteous. It's up to, to the individual. Their destiny is in their hands once they hear the gospel. This hope of Maranatha to the first Christians, it warmed their hearts. In the midst of temptation and sin, they would think, you know, this, this is going to be a better life. I'm going to a place at the end of this life where I won't face trials and temptations and seductions and sin. And when, I, when they went through sorrowful times, they would, you know, this is not all that there is to my existence. There is a heaven, and I am going there. It expresses so much, that, that one phrase, Maranatha. It armed them in conflicts with the pagans of their day in that world that was ignorant of Christ. And, and again, much of it wanted to remain that way. It knew and pronounced the final victory of Christ and his kingdom over the kingdoms of men and the kingdoms and principalities and powers and high places in the spiritual realm. When he writes to the Corinthians, he says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I will add, when Paul wrote these letters, uh, the product of his preaching. Sometimes it went the other way. Sometimes in his writings, you know, you, you get something, and then I'm going to preach that. And uh, I think it's just a very human element. 
of with divine guidance. And it's the way it should be, I think. And I think the Bible preaches it throughout. Now, the first 19 verses of this 26th chapter, it is a song or a poem. He's going to call it a song. It is the song of the saved Israel, the remnant that comes through the tribulation period and enters into the kingdom age where Christ is king in Jerusalem and ruling the world. And those who have not died but survived the great tribulation period and are having children and families and life is going on, they will be thronging to Jerusalem to worship. The Jews that have not died, again, that will be part of that, they they will be preaching the gospel to people. They will be teachers of the Bible. And we will be kings and priests with the Lord, ensuring that the governments of the earth will be righteous. And uh, there's going to be radical changes on the geography of, 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 the, of the planet. Uh, places like Antarctica will likely be very much uh, uh, built up and, and habitable. Anyway, verse 1 now, in that day, and that lets us know this is that end time. Isaiah uses that phrase more than anyone in the Bible. Zechariah comes in second. In that day... This song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. There's his Maranatha. That day is coming. And when that day comes, we're going to be fortified with salvation. And he pictures salvation as a, a protective wall. A fortification. And that's what it is. It's, it, uh, those behind those walls have come through uh, and will not have to face judgment or, or temptation the devil ever again. Isaiah, he writes this in chapter, 60's, <clears throat> of chapter 60, Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting or destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And so he's, you know, again, there's emotion in that. I, I'm kind of just reading it out, but... How can you not be excited if God is showing you these things and giving the details of what's ahead for us, for we who believe? The day of judgment and the day of ultimate salvation are both introduced with that phrase, in that day. There's going to be a judgment for the wicked, which which would be an injustice if they were not dealt with. It would be a crime to let the wicked continue to be wicked and get away with it. And that's why there are many who've taught, you know, various t- teachings that, oh, don't worry, there's really no judgment. That was f- shaped and fashioned in hell. Jerusalem today is not, of course, Christ-centered. Israel is not. They're, they're not even Yahweh-centered, really. They're, just, uh, they're really into the rabbis or their tradition, uh, but not God. And, and that's why so many of them will be wiped out in the Great Tribulation. It, it will be a a judgment, and a consequence. Uh, but uh, it all changes. The day is coming. In that day, Zechariah 13.1, here he echoes Isaiah. He says, in that day, because he comes after Isaiah, uh, 500 years almost after, uh, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So that fountain is going to wash away the sin. I said 500 years, really not that much. Probably more like uh, 200 and something. Anyway, uh, verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. 
Uh, and yeah, the, they're gonna, there's not going to be any unrighteous. Well, there's going to be some, perhaps. There's some hints to it here and there in Isaiah that there may be some that are lagging behind. But Christ will rule with an iron rod. He's not going to put up with that. Uh, for a thousand years, there will be no reason to say the devil made me do it because he won't be around. But in contrast to the unrighteous nations today, for example, you have Myanmar, which was Burma. Uh, there's heavy persecution against Christians. The government has launched troops to, to purge the land of Christians, to kill them, to molest the women. It's awful. This is going on uh, right now uh, in the days we live in, uh, trying to violently purge the land of those who loved the Lord Jesus Christ and did no harm to them. Isaiah thirty-two seventeen, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. So this is a, a, parents, you can use this verse in your kids when they're loud. Righteousness is quietness, <laughs> assurance forever. Tell me how that works out for you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> just the joy of kids in the house, right? Uh, you know, Isaiah lived almost his entire life under the threat of a Syrian invasion. I think about it, if you lived... Uh, in, a, in a country where you, your neighbor might invade you at any time, to live your entire life in the shadow of death. And so when he writes these things, this is coming from a man that is facing uh, fear. And fear is a, a beast. It can be a beast. You just don't turn the switch off. Sometimes you can, but other times it's really... Uh, you know, you, you can say, I have a peace about this. I'm, I'm good. But other times you're scrambling. Uh, you don't have a peace about it. And that is the, the battle of the righteous. You know, we want peace because of what the Bible says. Whereas, and because we want peace. Whereas the people in the world, they, they just want the peace part. Not so much the Bible. Verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, I, I would think that m many of you have had a chance to demonstrate that this is not easy. You have been faced with something in life that is terrifying, and you have been calling on the Lord, quoting this verse. You will keep him in perfect peace. Lord, my mind has stayed on you, but yet I am trembling over here. And uh, how is fear to be faced? It can be a personal leviathan. Uh, it can be a, a, that thing, it can spread throughout the family. And, you know, the parents are not going to try, I'm not going to let my kids see me. I'm terrified. And they put up the stoic face, and so they should. We have a picture of David facing fear. Fear didn't get a chance to get into David when he faced the giant. He was already irritated. <laughs> His brothers irritated him, first of all. And what are you doing? I mean, you've come to see the battle. He, which he could have said, what battle? You guys are over here petrified. There's no battle going on. He doesn't say that, of course. He probably would have clocked upside his head. But I, I want to take this part out of, of 1 Samuel 17. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. It is on, man. He's... There was no backing down. There was no time for fear. He was so focused on what he was going to do that fear never had a chance. Like Teflon. It just, just right off of him. Uh, 
so to further dig into facing fear nobly as a Christian, we turn, I turn to Philippians 4, we know, be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Well, Philippians 4, 7 follows up and says, And the peace of God, will surpass, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think there, there's a separate, uh, you know, the Christian that physically trembles, but spiritually keeps their mind on the Lord is the one that is fulfilling these verses. I, I cannot control everything about me, but I can control what I believe. And uh, we, uh, so I want to spend a lot of time here on verse 3, where he says here in verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace. The Hebrew is peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. And the translators have often said, well, you know, if we write peace, peace, we might lose the point. And so they have opted in some cases to, to put in uh, the, a perfected peace, since it's emphasized, it's a superlative. And so uh, it's, a, it's not a bad call on their part. I wouldn't have much to say about it if they had done it the way I'm telling you. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell it. Anyhow, of course, it's Romans 5.1, which is the flagship for peace. And there we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't have peace with sin. We don't have, as far as it dealing with us and us with it, there's that war, the flesh versus the spirit. We don't have peace with others. There are things in life that I mean, you can't sit outside in the summertime or spring and not have some insect mess with you. It's, 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 it's crazy. I don't think in New York there was one insect, not counting the roaches. Uh, that it, and he was killed, and that was that. But in more rural areas, I mean, they're all over the place. Anyway, keeping one's mind on the Lord is a lifetime challenged. And we're up to this. We, we are called, to, we are built for this, whether you feel it or not. Many foes march against our peace because we want good things. And bad things are coming against them. And it could be a loved one, could be hell, whatever it is. Faith includes thinking. And thinking produces inspiration, feelings. When I, when you know, when you feel the surge of inspiration, it's because you've processed it. Now, sometimes people do their, their process feelings based on bad da data and go do something dumb. Uh, but other times, uh, ideally speaking, uh, when we sing songs of joy to the Lord, it's because we have thought through who He is based on how He has revealed Himself to us. And so they work together, the heart and the head. When you separate one from the other, you're going to have problems. Um, I don't know, I think I have more fear of the person who thinks with their feelings than I do with the person who's just kind of dry. But they both can be a problem if, if we're the one guilty of, of functioning that way in, in Christ. Well, uh, consider persecuted Christians. I mean, they didn't feel good about what was happening to them physically, spiritually. Man, they were in the zone. Many of them, again, burned at the stake singing hymns to Christ. And so what is a perfect peace? Well, it's trust. It's trust in the Prince of Peace. And this is, uh, you know, it can sound like it's not, 
it's like I'm simplifying it because it is simple. Christ didn't say, you know what, now I'm going to lay out some heavy doctrine. You're going to take years to get this. No. This is basic Christianity. It's deep enough. Stephen died preaching while they were stoning him. He didn't see the well, You know, when I say he doesn't see, didn't see the stones, of course he saw them physically. But he didn't see them as an impediment to preaching. He continued preaching. Probably didn't even duck. I would have been trying to catch him and throw him back. <laughs> so like, I'm taking somebody with me. That's the flesh. <laughs> so, another one guilty with me. Thank you. This, uh, this kind of trust, the difference between the courage of the world and the courage of the Christian, is ours is born out of love, agape love, that comes from God directly. It is born out of worship. Stephen felt Christ was worth dying for. That life was not worth it if it meant renouncing Christ. And it is a full faith. Uh, Peace is relative to faith for the believer. And that's why Paul said he'll keep you in perfect peace. Now, of course, when Paul writes that to the Philippians, he's already suffered so much. He's already had shipwrecks and beatings. And, and so when he writes, he'll keep you in perfect peace. You can't say, well, what do you know about being terrorized? He, I think he's, he rewrote the manual on it. Same with John. They're on the Isle of Patmos. And when he wrote 1 John, um, he had suffered already as a Christian. Just think of what he suffered watching Christ go through what he went through. I mean, just to, to, to live through that. But, you know, the high calling of being named a disciple of Christ and then have to go through all that when he's the one, we love him so much, and then they get to murder him. How are you going to deal with that? Well, Thomas, you know, Thomas was shattered in love. And Christ rebuilt him. First John, <laughs> but he did sting him, did he not? It's better to believe it. <laughs> oh, man. First John chapter 4, he writes, There is no fear in love. Now, ideal. This is the ideal. But perfect love casts out fear. Well, that's what Isaiah is saying. Paul said, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power, a sound mind. He says, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That doesn't mean he's not loved. doesn't mean he's not loving. It's just, just still some work. And, you know, coming from these men, we say, okay, this is that upper level of Christianity that I never want to lose sight of. I mean, what, what is the alternative? To offer a cheaper version of courage than the world has? That wasn't for these men. Uh, they suffered as true believers, setting the example for, for us all. And agape love is only from faith in Christ according to the Bible. That is what we mean when when we talk about, uh, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have that highest love for me? And Peter was man enough to tell God Almighty, I don't have that much. And, And the Lord loves him nonetheless. Used him, sent him out to shepherd the flock. I mean, what was the end result? Christ said, I want you to take care of my sheep, my lands. I want you to teach them. 
The man who had courage enough to say, I don't have what it takes, is the one God said, I'm using you. Then you're not going to find this anywhere else, only in Christ. And sometimes this perfect love struggles. We've seen it on display in Gethsemane. That perfect love casting out fear, beating it down there in the garden. Because it remained in the Father's will. When the smoke settled and the dust cleared, or the dust cleared and the smoke settled, whichever way it goes, Christ was in the will of his Father. And the Father had to take it too. And if you've, you, as a parent, you know what it's like when your child is sick. Imagine why that whole thing, the whole thing since the foundations of the world. And so, in the midst of unparalleled Troubles, and that's what the cross was, an unparalleled trouble. Nothing could match it, nothing ever will. The spiritual, the physical side is such an insignificant part of it. When you, when you factor in or make it relative to what was going on spiritually, what would make the Son of God say, why have you forsaken me? Well, of course, there's a whole sermons on that. He's bare, he bore our sin. He became sin for me. In 2 Corinthians 5, he's reconciling man to God by becoming sin, taking our sin on him. This from one that was perfect. Anyway, there the passion of peace evidenced itself like sweat, like drops of blood. Those are like machine gun casings popping out, you know, just taking hell out. Hell couldn't stop him from going to the cross. It tried to do it subtly with Peter, you know, at, at Caesarea Philippi. It ain't so, Lord. You ain't going to die for us. And, and Jesus put that down. And Jesus said, now my soul is troubled. And it came to him, the Greeks came to him and, and, and said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And we don't know if Jesus granted the audience or not, but we know he, that Andrew told Jesus, and, and, and Jesus said, My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. I'm not backing down. That's perfect love. That's the peace that surpasses understanding. This is the one that is saying that you will keep him in perfect peace, in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. How different from the world. James points this out. He says, you know, when we talk about love and wisdom, he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Well, the world doesn't have that philosophy. They have it on paper. But still, with them, the end justifies the means. He continues, he says, the wisdom that is, is from above is first pure, then peaceable. If peace comes after Purity is, is first. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Then, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. The father, that order does not, you, you cannot upset it. You cannot, well, peace comes before purity. There's no purity if the peace of God is compromised. Well, it continues, uh, James does, gentle, willing to yield. Some of us need to work on that gentleness more than others. Full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy, mercy is not, is, is, does not have retaliation in its, uh, you know, in its heart. It may have to retaliate, but it's, it's not with glee. He says, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. 
No favoritisms, no nepotism. Oh, well, it's my kid, they get a pass. We've seen this in Christianity. We've seen people rail against sins in the Bible in churches, and then when their child gets caught up in the sin, all of a sudden they don't want to do that anymore. All of a sudden, you know, they don't want to hear it. Uh, and that is a move of the devil, and may we be fortified against it. Uh, you can it's very easily tell you, child, I'll love you as long as I'm in this life. But I will never side with sin for you or anybody else. I don't side with sin on myself. And, uh, you know, they, usually the guilty don't want to hear that. The guilty just want to be accepted. When you tell, when you tell a uh, homosexual advocate that, well, we, we love the sinner, we hate the sin, they don't want to hear They don't care about that. It's, oh, that's deep. They get angry. Yeah, but you're still against me is the bottom line. Uh, there may be exception here and there, but overall, I'm right and you know it. And I like it that way. But anyhow, <laughs> well, I got a pastor. He doesn't like being right. Well, you need to go to another church. Uh, you got one that really likes being right. But anyway, coming back to this, uh, Stephen, again, died in the perfect peace, the cast out fear. He exhibited that. Paul again, First Corinthians, uh, Philippians chapter 1. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also, also to suffer for his sake. Huh? What you, listen, the more God blesses me, the more comfortable I get. God said to Israel, Jerusalem has grown fat. You've been blessed so much in the land of milk and honey, you just don't want to move now. Now you're wasting it. And Paul faced the uncertain, the uncertain from notoriously violent Jerusalem. So to face the uncertain, so this is one of the scares of death. I don't really know. I mean, how's that going to be? I mean, uh, you know, I, one of my fears of dying is I don't want to be in a rookie class in heaven. I just don't want to be like a probie. <laughs> Just like you wear a gray suit and everybody else has got nice uniforms. All right, that's the way I think. And that's not going to happen. God will impart. But it is kind of funny and comical. But as I was talking with one of our sisters before I came up, this is a tough crowd when it comes to humor. It's just a tough one. I got an old typewriter. It's so old, it types in pencil. You see? You see how that flopped? I heard a comedian use that 10, 20 years ago, and it was, oh, everybody's laughing. All right, back to this. I had to take a mental break. <laughs> Paul faced the uncertainty. I mean, again, what's going to happen? Maybe it's a surgery. Maybe it's a court case. You don't know the outcome. That's fear when the stakes are high. And you're searching for God to be this example of courage. Not walking around judging. And that's another. When you have fear, fear knocks self-righteousness out of you. You're not too quick to judge people when you're fearful. You're just like, oh, okay, I love you, brother. <laughs> it's like, you never said that before. <laughs> anyway, we, we covered this in Acts. I need to move on. We're halfway through uh, our time. But if Paul, when Paul said, none of these things move me, I don't count my life dear to myself. Then he was, I'm ready to die, not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem. That is the perfect peace. Uh, yeah, you know, what, did, what was going through his mind when he saw the crowd pulling on him and punching him right before the centurion rescued him? Was he saying to himself, well, this is how it's going to end? Or, you know, it's just incredible. Uh, I, he didn't fight back. 
which is just so outstanding, whose mind is stayed on you. That applies to those who see beyond this life. That's what we're talking about when Isaiah says, In that day, Lord, come in that day. This peace characterized the Christ. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. He's telling us right out, listen, my definitions are not the world's definitions. And now we're seeing him create these stupid pronouns. For, for, it's just insane. Because Satan has said, you know what? No more Mr. Nice Guy. I'm just going to do the most stupid thing I can do because I have a generation that will help me. And he does, of, of all ages. Anyway, Christ went on to say, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have a lot of trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, when we read it, you will have tribulation. It sounds like a theological word. But when you said, you're going to have a whole bunch of trouble. It's like, oh, oh man. At least he's honest with me, right? Well, even if you're not in Christ, you're going to have a lot of trouble. What are you going to do with it, though? You're going to waste it? You end up dying and all that trouble you went through counted for nothing? Or are you going to endure like a believer and, and hear the Lord say, well done? Uh, well done, Rick. You don't have to go to proby school in heaven. <laughs> anyway, uh, the stress, you know, under stress, you, you, you know, you, you can have physiological problems. You get ulcers and things like headaches, and, and then you're fighting it. You, you, I've seen Christians fight, many of them. They go through that, but they're fighting all the way, and that's, that is that perfect peace, casting out fear. Uh, again, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, spare me. This is what I came for. Peace in the midst of unrest. So, well, I think I've covered that. And one last thing. Uh, by Christ putting on display. Remember, the apostles were sleeping for a portion of his time in Gethsemane. He had to tell them a few things that were going on. Why did he do that? He's putting on display that he knows what it is to face the dragon. And that's brought out in Hebrews. Not that he needed this experience to understand, but we need to see him so we can understand. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can't say that about Mary. Can't say that about anybody but Christ. Uh, he says, because he trusts in you. Here's a quote from a Christian long ago, a, a, Name is not known. I don't know. I have it in my records. Anyway, believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Most people believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. That's pretty good. I should have said I'd thought of that. And you would have never known a difference. God would have said, now that's not funny. <laughs> but the one about the typewriter was pretty good. Anyhow, verse 4. We, let's see if we can get through chapter 26. Trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh forever, for Yah, Yahweh is everlasting strength. So there's some excitement in this. Yahweh is named three times in 12 words. That's 25% of that sentence is just the name of God, the, the, the covenant name of God. And that double title, Yah, Yahweh, uh, is an endearment there. It shows up in chapter 12, also of Isaiah, nowhere else in the Bible. 
And as I mentioned, you know, the, 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 the superlatives are re, re, repetitive. Shalom, shalom. In Genesis chapter 14, we read that the area bound by the Red Sea, by Sodom and Gomorrah, Dead Sea, uh, it was full of pits. That's how the translators in the New King James say. But the Hebrew is pits, pits, which means like it was really a lot there. And uh, so that when he comes out with Yah, Yahweh, is superlative. Now, the Hebrew, which is, I like, where it says in the New King James, everlasting strength. In the Hebrew, it's everlasting rock. This is where the hymn, this, in, this verse inspired the hymn, Rock of Ages. Because uh, he, he took the mar- marginal, which in the margin, the Bible would have said, it, it, it's rock. And, and he makes the hymn out of it. And Christ is our rock, 1 Corinthians 10.4, and of course, from the Old Testament. Anyway, verse 5, For he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city, he lays it low, he lays it low to the ground, he brings it down to the dust. This is a reversal of what James said, and Peter echoed it. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And Peter says, in due time. <laughs> Peter's a realist, you know. He said, listen, I've, I've humbled myself. And I've waited and waited and waited. And, and you know, he's just like, this is, this is it. And, uh, you know, the Lord, I think the Lord loves that. I think he loves when, you know, we're just standing our ground, what we claim to believe. I believe I'll just wait on the Lord. Even if he shows up after I die, that doesn't make him unfaithful. I'll be with him. Uh, anyway, verse 6, The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. I, I don't think, you know, to us, it's like, oh, boy, there's a lot of words. But I think Isaiah, he's still got this fire, you know, in that day. He's still, he has seen these things. And uh, when Christ faced Pilate and Annas and Caiaphas, uh, he, he knew that this would be the case with them. That the foot will tread them down, uh, metaphorically. That the poor, the meek of the earth, the poor is not necessarily the meek. You can be poor and not meek. Uh, and you can be meek and not poor. But uh, Christ knew that uh, the, in the end, the wicked would be dealt with. Verse 7, the way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Verse 8, yes, in the way of your judgments, O Yahweh, we have waited for you. You, the desire of our souls, is for your name and for the remembrance of you. Their desire was not simply to be delivered. And catch this. But they wanted to honor his name in the process. As again, Stephen, for, for example. Um, Jonah, contrast Jonah. Jonah wanted to be delivered out of the fish. He's cried out to him. But uh, he gets to Nineveh, he just still doesn't get it. Who's the, what prophet had the hardest head? What prophet would be recruited by the NFL? That guy doesn't need a helmet. <laughs> His head is so hard. That would be Jonah. Uh, and, and yet, what a magnificent man to come out and say, look how dumb I was. And we can all take some, do some of that, right? You look back at your life and say, man, I, that was like another person. Uh, anyway, let's, let's keep it that way. Verse 9, uh, With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, in my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, 
the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And so this is David-esque of him. It is Isaiah the prophet breaking out into this song. And in the night, I'm desiring you. I'm just, you know, wanting you. Living under the shadow of the Assyrian. Again, uh, cannot be stated. I mean, they wiped out. The Assyrians came and they took out so much of all the cities of Judah. And were at the gates of Jerusalem. We'll get to that story again in the latter chapters. Uh, anyway, we'll, we should move on for the sake of time. Uh, but when he says, for when your judgments here in verse 9 you are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Yeah, because the devil will be locked up during the kingdom age. In that day, the devil will be locked up and wickedness will be way down. Verse 10, let grace be shown to the wicked and you Yet he will not learn righteousness in the land of the upright, of uprightness. He will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. I love this verse because it is so practical. Uh, grace and kindness is wasted on some people. They trample it. They take kindness for weakness. They take kindness for opportunity to exploit you. They take kindness for folly, for stupidity. <laughs> Look at that guy. He's so that's a, you know a con artist or a crook. They're counting on your kindness so that they can, uh, you know, unleash their craft of wickedness. Uh, Hebrews makes this comment, of whom the world was not worthy. Uh, So this is quite a, you know, just not going to stay on this verse much longer, but it's a verse that all of us should be familiar with because I don't want grace to be wasted on me, uh, and uh, be it from God or uh, the righteous. Verse 11, Yahweh... When your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed of their envy of people, for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. And so the prophet says, uh, it's not going to go well for them. The judgment's going to befall them, that kind of behavior. And if you know somebody like that, maybe it's an excellent verse to point it out. You know, you show you kindness and you just turn on me. You bite the hand that feeds you. Um, verse 12, Yahweh, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. Well, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And this is the Bible in such agreement as it flows through from Genesis 3. I have two, uh, I have the Gospels penned on my documents, and I have Genesis and Revelation, because you just have to go back to them all the time. To, to, you know, it's so much there. Um, anyway, th- that's how they got penned. I, you know, I got tired of looking, <laughs> typing it in. I just hit the button. Anyway, uh, today's Jews, they're not ready to embrace the prophetic certainty of Scripture. We are. So when we say Maranatha, we believe in the prophets. We believe what the Scripture says about the future. And we've embraced it. And sadly, many Jew and Gentile do not. Verse 13, O Yahweh, our God, masters besides you have had dominion over us, but you only we make mention of your name. So Isaiah, of course, speaking of those who love the Lord, he's not speaking of those who are into idolatry. He's saying, you know, we've suffered a lot of abuse from conquerors, but we don't bat out to them. Uh, Ahaz can do that. He can go to Damascus and see an altar. Ooh, I want that. Uh, but the righteous don't do that kind of stuff. We don't look at the world and say, now what are we doing? Uh, hopefully we don't. It's, tr- it's tricky. 
anyhow, it can be tricky. Verse 14, anyhow, that's what the hay salesman said. Uh, Verse 14, they are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Yeah, well, there's going to contrast this in 19, verse 19 when he talks about the righteous will live. And this is the, you know, the, the wicked that are determined to be wicked. And Isaiah is going to show some impatience, proper impatience with this behavior before God. Uh, they're going to be gone forever. So what? A person has these great achievements in this life. You know, there's a guy that climbed um, El Capitan, this mountain, this big rock, like with no ropes or hammer spikes, none of it, just climbed it free-handed. Uh, no one else has ever done it. Others may have tried. <laughs> they don't, we won't get a second chance. Uh, and it's, but when he dies, it's not going to come up in heaven. I saw that. That was really impressive. It's not going to come up. Well, many of the people who have made any of these achievements have, have not going to heaven. So the whole the point of it is, what am I doing that's going to survive the judgment? Separating the wood, the hay, and the stubble from the gold, the silver, the precious metals. Verse 14, they are dead, they will not live, they are deceased, they will not rise. Therefore, you have... Did I read that, didn't I? Verse 15, you have increased the nation, O Yahweh, you have increased the nation, you are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Now, this is end times because certainly (laughs) they were losing land in his lifetime. Uh, But he is emphasizing that in the millennial reign, Israel's territory will be expanded. Verse uh, 16, you you notice how many times he starts off with Yahweh. He's just loaded with this. It's like Jesus, Lord Jesus. There was a song we used to sing back in the 80s, Jesus, just the mention of your name. Uh, I think Jimmy Swaggart, it was, I think it was his song. I know he had some problems, but man, he, he put me in the spirit, his songs. His begging for money could take me out just as quick. <laughs> so, just go figure. But anyhow, uh, you have increased the nation, O Yahweh. You have increased the nation. Verse 16, we read that. Yahweh, I, in trouble, they have visited you. They poured out their, a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with child is in pain, verse 17, and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Yahweh. I'm chuckling because I've learned that women don't like men to talk about pain in childbearing. It's like, you don't qualify. (laughs) It's like, you weren't there. Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. I don't think so. I think some of you are afraid to say, Amen, brother! (laughs) Anyhow, coming back to this. So in times of trouble, the Jews will turn to God. Under great stress and pictures a woman in labor, the problem, as he's going to go ahead to point out, is not going to produce the results uh, without, without God. Of course, labor pains are directly linked to mankind's disobedience. You can't say, well, it's linked to the woman. Uh, it, that is, too. But he sinned also. Uh, and, and he's just as guilty. They were both driven from the garden. 
Um, he didn't say, okay, Adam, you don't have to go out so far. She has to go way out. Uh, they were both just as guilty. And he more so. Um, anyway, verse 18. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. So he's saying we failed as, as your people. We did not uh, carry out our commission to show that you, God of the earth. You know, the, the Jews had become just so disgusted with the Gentiles that they weren't even interested in reaching them. And that's what's going to come out in Paul's day. Paul's preaching, and once he mentions the word Gentiles, they rioted again, just at the mention of the word Gentile. Uh, so anyway, in their own Bible, you would think you could go up to them today and say, in your own Bible, you are rebuked for this behavior. Uh, that's the benefit of going verse by verse through the Bible. You don't get to skip. It's tough sometimes, but you don't get to cherry pick. Uh, well, you can if you skip over it and then your conscience is bothered. Verse 19, your dead shall live. And see, this is the righteous now, in contrast to earlier. Uh, to, together with my dead body, they shall arise, awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. Well, Daniel said in Daniel 12, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so there's going to be that resurrection of the just and the unjust. Isaiah is, in contrast to verse 14, saying, uh, Israel, the righteous, the remnant, in that day, the righteous will live, and they will live forever. I'm going to live, they're going to live. Israel will, will live. So it is a, a verse of promise. Job, he introduced this very thing. I don't know about introduced, that might be a bit much, but he, he certainly preached on it. He says, for I know my Redeemer lives, and he, shall, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that... In my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall see. So Job knew that there was going to be more after this life. When he says my flesh, he's not talking about, because this body's not fit, it will go away. But his glorified body, uh, that's what he is commenting on. It's interesting, when, when Peter and John and uh, James saw the uh, Moses and Elijah on Mount uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, they didn't know who, they, how would they know who they were? They never saw Moses. They have no pictures around. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> His Moses taking a selfie. Uh, there was, how would they know? Well, this God imparts knowledge. It's why I won't have to go through those rookie sections. I hated the first day of school as a kid. I thought, you got to meet everybody. The teacher's smiling at you. I'm like, why are you smiling at me? <laughs> You must want a loan. Anyway, <laughs> come the first grader. Kindergarten, sorry. Verse 20, come my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Because snakes can get in. If you don't shut the door, if you live in the country, you learn that. You get a little pamphlet when you leave New York. Where are you going? Virginia. Okay, here. Keep the door shut or else snakes will get in. 
okay, maybe you never had a snake in your house. It is, it is as close to hell as you can get. <laughs> okay, he says, shut the door behind you. Hide yourself. And <laughs> as, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is passed. And so we know he's speaking, and we don't have time to unfold all of it. This is Matthew 24, Jesus talks about refuge for the righteous Jews. Petra in modern-day Jordan, the kingdom of Jordan, is likely one of the places that they will flee. Uh, for who knows what reasons it will be a refuge. Zephaniah, Zephaniah says, Seek Yahweh, all you meek of the earth. Who have upheld his justice, seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of Yahweh's anger. And so he's, this is a global anger he's ringing in. Jesus said the same thing. You better hope that it doesn't come on the Sabbath. And you better hope that you, you know, your righteousness is put together. Uh, so that's what the prophets are saying. Verse 21 For behold, Yahweh comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. For their iniquity, the earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So this is, a, again, it's, you picture a bear in a cave and he's, you aggravate him. He comes running out. Now it's too late. It's happening now. It's too late. That's the kind of the picture he's, he's giving us here. Uh, the earth will be punishing for violating the covenant of God with humanity. We covered this. Uh, earlier in Isaiah, goes back to Genesis 9, that Noahic covenant that demanded the sanctity of life, the very thing that we see discarded on high levels of government. You know, all the woman's rights, you know, she has, because they, they don't want to believe that once conception, in humans, in a human, when conception takes place, it's, it's not yet a human. That's what they want to believe. But, if an eagle does it, if an eagle has an egg, it's an eagle. It's a, no, it's not. It's an egg. And a little salt and pepper. <laughs> little, you know, it could really be a nice thing here. Uh, so they are hypocritical. They, what that covenant was in Genesis 9 was the right to live. That people have a right to live. And as you cover, go through the laws in, in Deuteronomy, God is not tolerant of murder. Uh, murderers get murdered. Uh, you, well, they really they get killed. So murder implies, uh, of course, blood, uh, illicit bloodshed. <clears throat> I, well, anyway, we have we now come to verse twenty-seven. We can. It's a short chapter, and uh, if we don't do it now, it will be disconnected from the next session. So I've decided we can bribe the children's workers with chocolate. I think they'll go for that. Verse 1. That's it. No more. In that day, Yahweh, verse 1, Isaiah 27. In that day, Yahweh, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent. And he will slay that reptile that is in the sea. Well, what is Leviathan? It's a large amphibious creature. It speaks of his, you know, his... His uh, members, like his legs. So some say, well, he was a crocodile. I don't believe that. I think he was a dinosaur of some sort. I think he's extinct, this actual creature. Uh, they're gone. 
uh, Loch Ness might be, might be one. And he, Job talks about him a lot in Job chapter 41, verses uh, through, uh, 1 through, I think, 11, something like that. And we have one quote from Job on that. God reminded, evidently the village people tried to, to kill one of these things, and he represents this undefeatable evil. Uh, he's a real creature, but he represents, metaphorically, Satan and the chaos that he brings. And so, evidently, the village people tried to kill one of these things, and it didn't work well. And God says, lay your hand on him. Remember the battle? Never do that again. That's what he says, Job 41.8. So, uh, this immense power, and I mentioned earlier, you have a fear that becomes like a leviathan. It's undefeatable, it feels like. God understands that and works with us through it. And because you're not happy and giddy the next morning, doesn't mean you're in retreat. Um, Satan would like you to think that. Uh, it's pretty disappointing to hell when they've thrown everything at you. You're trembling, but you're still trusting God. Because well, he has got nothing else after that. Uh, you, you know, you, you just have to go through it, but you, you're winning. But note the triple description of the Lord's sword. Severe. Great enough and strong. Severe, great, and strong. Versus the triple description of Leviathan. Serpent, serpent, reptile. Yeesh. That's the idea. Yeah, so, you're, and again, I think he was a dinosaur of some sort. Uh, anyway, we, every, we all get a Leviathan at least once in our life. That dreadful monster. Revelation 20 he laid hold of that dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And there's a difference between the two. Well, they're united, but there's some distinctions. And bound him for a thousand years. And so there you see the Bible referring to this dragon. I believe there were fire-breathing dragons. Why not? There's bomber beetles. I mean, they shoot out skunks. What is that? Uh, you know, electric eels. I mean, the, I mean, not eels you plug in and go eel. But, I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, some weird things in creation. And there's this other stuff. What the fish with the light in front of its head? What is that? Nobody should have free electricity if I can't have it. Anyhow, but lightning bugs. I mean, come on. You just, okay, it's jelly. But, because I used to dissect them as a kid. What is that? Phosphorus on the beach. I mean, you just keep going on with these weird things in creation. I had no problem believing fire-breathing dragons. We covered that in Job. Anyway, Leviathan, he's fleeing. Satan will be in full retreat. He's twisted. Pride did that to him. He wasn't created twisted. He was created anointed cherub. Judas was not created a, a betrayer. He was not chosen to be the betrayer. Christ knew he would would give him every chance not to be, knowing the outcome, still was Judah's call. Uh, it says here in verse 1, uh, and will lay, he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Well, this goes back under the understanding this is a picture of Satan. He will bruise the heel, that is the crucifixion, but he will bruise his head. That is the death blow given to Satan. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's speaking to the devil, and between your seed and her seed. She shall bruise, uh, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the age of conflict 
which uh, was announced by God in Eden. He's announcing to mankind at the beginning of sin, now you've got conflict. And you've got a conflict with the spiritual world. But you're going to win in the end. I'm going to win in the end, and, and you will win too if you stay with me. Uh, Psalm 74, you broke the head of Leviathan in pieces. You see, he would bruise his head. This is an understatement. And gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. So that is a, th- a thorough victory. Some think, well, no, this is Assyria and Babylon. Uh, it could, in a lesser sense, but it's the devil. Verse 2, in that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. Verse 3, I, Yahweh, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. This is in contrast to Isaiah 5, where Israel was the vine that became wild. No matter what the Lord did, it did not cooperate. Now, the Lord is taking care of this vine. It is end-time Israel, uh, post-tribulation. The Bible speaks of three vines, really. One is the people of Israel, as here and in Isaiah 5. Christ and his church, John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. And then that lying, uh, that love, how would I say, that lie-loving world, great tribulation society, Revelation 14, 18, refers to them as the vine of the earth, that is, and they get judged. And so, uh, anyway, coming, and verse, verse 6, we'll get on, seals that this is Israel, he's talking about. Verse 4, Fury is not in me, who would set briars and thorns against me in battle. I would go through them, I would burn them together. So the time of Israel punishment will pass, the fury will not be in the Lord, and judging them, we've been reading so much about them being judged, the briars and the thorns... The enemies, the obstacles, they'll be burned up. Isaiah ten seventeen. So the light of Israel will be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame. It will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. And so we, the consistent, uh, that we know through that consistency, these are the enemies being burned up. Uh, verse 5, Oh, let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. With me, and so submit to God, and there will be peace. Romans five one, verse twenty, verse six. Now, those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Well, that's Genesis twelve, verses one through three, uh, in being ultimate, ultimately fulfilled in the kingdom age at the end of the great tribulation. So you have, of course, the present age of grace, the church age that we are in. Then comes the rapture, Maranatha, Lord come. Uh, that's the first coming, a uh, second coming of Christ. It'll be three when He came with Mary. We can do more, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> and then after the rapture, the great tribulation period for seven years, and then Christ comes again. We will be with Him, and that starts the kingdom age. Verse seven: He shall. Has he struck Israel as he struck those who struck him? Or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him? Uh, God is saying here that I, I judged Israel, but I judged those who I used to judge Israel even harder. 
that would be Babylon and Assyria. In uh, Nazi Germany, you could add to that list a, a few others. Verse 8, uh, in measure, by sending it away, you contended with it. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind. Verse 9, therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altar like caulk stones that are beaten out to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. And so full repentance requires a full turn to Christ, uh, pulverizing all that belongs to idolatry. Verse 10, Yet the fortified city will be desolate, the habitation forsaken, and left like a wilderness there, the calf will feed, and there it will lie down and consume its branches. When the boughs are withered, they will be broken off. The women come and set them on fire, for it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not have mercy on them, and he who formed them will show them no favor. And so here is a lot going on. Ultimately, the city uh, is going to be a ghost town. Which city? Uh, some say it's Jerusalem. Some say it's the Assyrian. Uh, I don't know that we can actually pinpoint it all, but I know we come away with this. The women are gathering the, 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 the dead parts that have withered and they're using it in the fireplaces. That, that's the idea behind the women coming and setting it on fire versus going out setting the fields on fire. Uh, what we get out of this, therefore, he who made them, that is God, will have, will have no mercy because they're impenitent. And he who informed them will show them no favor. That's the consequence of judgment. Verse 12, that's why, you know, uh, the, the, the terror of the Lord is a serious thing. Verse 12, and it shall come to pass in that day that Yahweh will thresh from the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt. And you will be gathered by one, O you children of Israel. And so there will, this will be from Iran to Egypt. That will be Israel's territory. A lot of verses we could cross-reference. Verse 13, So it shall be in that day that the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, and they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship Yahweh in the holy mount at Jerusalem. So the, the trumpet is the assembly of the troops. It's a figure of speech used here to come and feast. These are those survivors in the Great Tribulation that God can do something with. Um, the ones that were just adamant in their unbelief, he will judge and, and take out. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, again, a lot of information, a lot of inspiration, things that uh, can excite us to remind us that we look forward to your return. We pray that you get us all home safely tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.